welcome to the Cucumber Podcast. I'm Sal Freudenberg, and uh, this time I'm delighted to say we've got Rebecca Wiffsbrook with us. Um, Rebecca, who to introduce, it's hard to introduce her because she's done so many amazing things. So, uh, very influential in the world of software design, an amazing author, um, involved in patterns and DDD, um, but probably most interesting, and the reason we invited her on today is after some conversations we had at the XP conference this year, XP 2018, where Rebecca um, gave a presentation about heuristics and um, we, uh, we came along and talked about mobbing and inclusivity and we then had a chat and um, invited Rebecca to come and join our mob um, because she was very interested in looking at the heuristics of, uh, of mobbing, particularly, I guess, with us, with remote mobbing. So welcome, Rebecca. Thanks. Good to be here. I've been mobbing with you guys for, oh, no, five times. Usually it's early in the morning, my time, right? Because it's late afternoon for you. So that, that's been an interesting experience for sure. Yes, with plenty of coffee. And we also, so we also yeah. have Matt Wynn with us. So Matt's here too. Matt, you want to say hi? Token pale male. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> so Rebecca, do you want to maybe, can we start by giving us a bit of background about the work you've been doing on heuristics and why you're particularly maybe interested in heuristics and mobbing? Sure, sure. Um, I'll start with heuristics first. Um, a couple of years ago, uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Eric Simmons, who I have breakfast from time to time, and we talk about things, you know, he threw out the challenge that I should read this book by Billy Von Cohn on the discussion of the method, you know, a, uh, an engineer's conducting an engineer's approach to problem solving. That's the name of the book. And he said this because, yeah, I've been writing patterns. And he says, well, patterns are just heuristics. You should read this and you'll, you'll, you'll expand your thinking about heuristics. And to make a long story short, he was right. Um, patterns are just one way we have of writing things down. But um, I've gotten intrigued by the fact of so much knowledge that we have as designers and developers, we don't write down. So, you know, being part of a mob or being part of a team, you kind of do things and you sort of have these ways of solving problems, but you don't write them down. So I'm, I'm enjoying hunting them and, and trying to articulate them and understand them. So it's kind of, kind of a fun thing I've been doing, a hobby, if you will. <laughs> Fabulous. Kind of hunting around. Yeah, pulling yeah, yeah. out heuristics um, anywhere, you, anywhere you might see them. And how, what's that process like of looking for heuristics? What kind of things do you do? How, what gives you a, a scent that you might be on the right trail for sniffing out? Well, so, so, you know, I have my own design heuristics. And so anytime I'm looking at something, whether it's I'm reading something on Stack Overflow, or a blog, or going to a talk, I'm, I'm sort of seeing, well, what, what does this person say about what they're trying to do to solve a problem? And how does it align with what I know? Um, and so, so that's one way, just like anything I'm hearing and seeing, 
Um, I thought it would be interesting to, and, and I'm really delighted that you you all invited me to join the mob because it's not just how does the mob work, but how does the mob work around design decisions was something interesting to me as well. So, um, and what, what design values do you have and, and why does it work? <laughs> you know, so, so I've been, so, so another thing I've been doing is when I have an opportunity and actually, um, any opportunity I welcome, you know, is to have a conversation with someone about something they're excited about in design and what do they do. Um, so sitting down with with people from the DDD community was has been fun. I, I hope to, you know, talk with lots of people. Upcoming Agile conference in a couple of weeks. So, mm -hmm. and so. It's, it's, it's really fascinating that heuristics in a way, to me, they sound like a kind of blend of rules that we've got as a group about the way that we might work of kind of metacognitive stuff, like the way that we approach thinking about things, um, common values, all of that kind of stuff, all, all jumbled in together. Is there a really, is there a clear definition of what a heuristic is for people that we could share? Sure. Um, so this is not, this is what Von uh, Kohn talks about as a heuristic. So he has a specific definition that kind of resonates with me is that he's basically saying that anything that we use, right, that's a plausible aid. So it's not going to, not going to work necessarily all the time or direction in the solution of a problem but in the final analysis is unjustified, incapable of justification and, and, and potentially fallible. Um, so, so in essence, you know, I have heuristics for solving a design problem, for how I approach the way I work, um, the attitude I take, uh, heuristics for what to do next. Um, so... Yeah, they're all, all of those things. And patterns, you know, software patterns are just one part of it. But it's also how you approach work, too. So are there some examples you can start to tell us about about what you've observed um, when you've been with us? Because I'm fascinated to know what's been going into your anthropologist's notebook. Yeah, well, I'm not, I, you know, it's it's been uh, fascinating to me because, so I'm going to say I've been joining the mob, but... Uh, um, also not being totally away from what you're doing. So I'm not just silently observing. I've been sort of like, oh, what am I, you know, understanding what's going on. And <clears throat> so one of the things that I observed about the way the mob works, at least the cucumber mob, is that you value flow. And so if someone is, is, onto something and is working on it. And the very first times I was there, you know, you had the little uh, gong go off that somebody set a timer and we, we didn't really know how much time it was, but yeah, maybe it was, I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes. And if someone was still in the flow, you, you'd let them go. And in later sessions where there's been just a couple of us, it's like the flow stays with the person until they want to hand it over. It's not like they're dominating, but it's like you kind of value, I'm gonna say flow in the mob, 
which is different than I've um, seen, you know, in other mobbing experiences where they're like, oh, we have the timer and we do this and, you know, we switch and all this. So that, that's just one example of, of being in the flow. Although you don't dominate, you do let the flow happen. That's interesting. Yeah. And hearing you express it so like that as a value makes me feel less bad that we cheat on the timer. And- <laughs> yeah, because you're not cheating. You're valuing. Well, so there are always competing heuristics, too, that can move, make forward progress. Um, I could say, no, we're going to be strict about it because, Sally, you're not getting enough time. These guys are just going crazy. Um, let them stop. Um, so there's always conflicting goals. But as a... As a mod, um, you have, you know, from the personal people side, you definitely respect, um, <clears throat> you know, people's needs, right? I have got to go, so someone else picks up, right? And so that's that's another kind of aspect of remote mobbing that I've seen that is kind of different from, you know, when you're when you're going to hunter industries and sitting around for eight hours a day in the in the room. You know, they're, they're all there. They can, they can wander away, but they don't, you know, they don't, they're not so fluid. So the fluidity in terms of not, not the flow of the work, but the fluidity of people coming and going from the consciousness of the work that's going on. Yeah. Right. Right. So I, I guess another thing though, that makes that, that supports that is the heuristic of, of, when you know you you check in your stuff, your code and your test very consistently, and and they they better well pass, or you better well give yourself an excuse for why they don't at the moment before you move on. Now that's a kind of a factor of how your environment is set up, where you download and mm. you know work remotely each, but you still have this sort of heuristic that says we're going to make it pass usually before you hand off. That's something I've, I've noticed. Right. Rather than handing over halfway through, uh, getting a test to pass or something, we sort of close the, try and close the loop. You do try to close the loop. Um, and I, I'm, I'm, you know, you could have done it the other way too. Hey, here's your, here's this broken stuff, but you don't hand it off to the next driver that way. So, um, I don't know why, how that, that has come to be, but I haven't seen yeah, that. Yeah, so we, we've played ping pong before, haven't we, where <laughs> we, you know, I write a failing test and then I push, I, I mark it as whip and then push it and then you can make it pass. We have done that, but maybe we just didn't do it on the sessions we were with you, but that's, that's really interesting. We, we kind of impose that sometimes, but it but our natural way of working isn't is is more kind of like we feel like we want to leave it nice for the next person right and get to a get to a point of commit of committing yeah so so why is that yeah why is that um you're so polite <laughs> yeah it's the englishness <laughs> the britishness yeah well, yeah i mean I, what, what i'm thinking about as as i as i listen to this is and maybe something that's kind of implicit for all three of us is the, is the tdd rhythm mm. that there's a kind of cadence of doing TDD that we're all really habituated in. So there's a sort of peak and a, and a, and a calm, isn't there with, with every little TDD loop that you go around and there just becomes a kind of natural point where it makes sense to check in and push and 
think about what the commit message is, maybe go and make a cup of tea, swap drivers. There's, there's just a kind of natural little rhythm. And I suppose we let the, we let that rhythm often dictate the way, you know, the points when we'd, we'd swap and interact. Yeah, you, you, you do. And, um, I've, uh, that, that's, that's actually somewhat interesting about the TDD strategy as well. Um, the heuristics for that. And, like it seems another thing that I've observed is that in doing testing, you don't break a lot. You try to keep the scaffolding and we're doing some refactoring so that the tests work um, while you're, you know, you take the effort while the tests to keep the tests working while you're doing the refactoring. So you might, pass in extra arguments and just take steps that are, uh, I'm going to say, guaranteeing that, you know, you have this uh, rhythm of I can fall back on things that I know are working. Yeah, it's trying to minimize the distance between where, where things are known and working, which again is about flow, I think. Because we were talking about this yesterday, weren't we, when with, with Steve and um, how we'd kind of, maybe taken a slightly circuitous route to the solution right. but, but the w- because we'd left some some pieces in there as we'd gone that were part of the old code that we knew we were going to get rid of but we left them in there until it was easy to get them out rather than sort of breaking everything and then um spending an indeterminate amount of time with some failing tests while we tidied up the mess yeah, and then- which might have been faster but uh was kind of would, would be kind of riskier yeah, and then like it's almost the last step is sort of funny. Like, oh, oh, I said, whoa, we should remove the code. <laughs> you know, the code right, that was yeah. no it's longer like, there. Oh, that, that's, now it's the easy bit. <laughs> the bit we were trying to do all along has become the easy bit. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I think we the thing we uh, spoke about yesterday is I've been really influenced by um, Sandy Metz and Katrina Owen in that style of of refactoring. And Katrina's got this thing about. Um, if you were using Vim as your editor, the, well, it's effectively, if you're using Vim as your editor, like kind of like every time you press escape, so every time you've made like an atomic uh, modification to the file that you're working on, you want to try and have the test be green again. So you want to try and be thinking about like, how can I make every single change to the file be something that, that doesn't break things so that you're you're always in that place of like, it's still working, still working, still working, still working. You're never going to break your, break your refactoring flow, which is... Sometimes you know too heavy of a constraint, but it's really like a nice thing to to what's what's the word for it? Like when you you know you try and um, force yourself to that discipline, it's amazing what it can what it can bring out. I think. I it it feels like maybe that's one of the reasons that our flow is where we change rather than really being married to the timer that. If someone ends up driving too long, that's almost a bit of a smell that, well, maybe, you know, are we splitting that? Are we splitting things down small enough? Are we, are we biting off too big a ch- of a chunk? Are we not committing more regularly enough? Are we not getting the tests, tests to pass quickly enough kind of thing because we're, we're not doing they, that tiny splitting. Mm. Mm, we've bitten off more than we can chew. Yeah. How about design? What have you seen in the, What can we talk about about design heuristics? Have you seen any... Any remarkable or interesting design choices? Uh, uh, well, so, so, so these heuristics are design of process, 
Um, so there are heuristics related to design. But if I'm if I'm thinking about design heuristics that we you know we we largely spent time when I was uh, joining you on refactorings. Yeah, and true. and so you know one might say the design heuristics are uh, you I. I'm going to say you have a tolerance that's pretty low for leaving code that's in this sort of working but state where you don't want to be because you found a better design approach. And so, you know, some of the refactorings we were working on were essentially, uh, I'm going to say, cleaning up to the new style. Um, hey, the code worked, but we don't really like it with all these conditionals in here or selects. And, you know, so so using, um, you know, refactoring as an opportunity, not just to wedge in a feature, but to keep it on this cleanness that you're discovering as you're designing. So that, that's, that's something that I observed. So one might say that, uh, you know, one of the things about design is about design repair. Um, and when I think about repairing a design, usually, like when I go visit people as a consultant, it's like they have left it into the sprawling, awful mess, right? It's just like, where do you start? But this team doesn't let things get too out of hand. Um, and so, you know, you're using uh, patterns, you know, trying to fit in. One of the things I observed when we were doing an earlier refactoring was that the, you know, you have to respect the, the frameworks that you're using at the UI in particular. But even then, you know, can I apply a pattern where I'm being, uh, you know, allowing to do this in a way that's more object-oriented? Was, was one of the things that we were going Yeah, and actually the thing that we ended up with uh, using the, the strategy pattern with the React component ended up really lovely and readable just by pushing on that a little bit harder. Right. To be honest, I think we pushed on that a little bit harder than we usually would because you were there and, well, it wasn't like we were trying to show off and go like, look at our OO credentials, we can do this. We read your box, really. <laughs> it was more, um, I guess, we were trying to kind of, well, it's like yeah. closing the loop thing. We were trying to see the see the thing right through to its conclusion. And I mean, also, it was an awesome op- opportunity for us to have you as part of the mob coaching us through that. I mean, there was a, there was a day when Roman got to pair with you for for like an hour, an hour and a half, when nobody else had been able to show up yet. That was like b- brilliant. Um, he was he was inspired by that time he spent with you. So mm-hmm. um, it was really cool to explore that. So 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 you think we we have a low tolerance for mess, do you? Because I think. We, you know, I mean, programmers, programming teams always wrestle with this, right? The dilemma between, you know, how much time do we spend paying off the mess that we know is there that frustrates us and, and creates friction and how much time do we spend adding new features? And we, we tussle with this one all the time. Um, so it sounds like you're saying we're, we're, we're definitely not doing, doing too little refactoring from what you've seen. Well, maybe, maybe you, yeah, maybe, maybe you, maybe you were showing off when I was there. I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I guess the question I have for you guys is, 
um, is there ever a time where you try something and you disband in the effort? Have you, cause I didn't see you give mm. up. Uh, we put things aside. We put things aside and then they were finished up when I wasn't there. I was like, okay, but you, have I ever seen you, have you ever like tried some refactoring and, and, and bailed on yeah, it? Yeah. Yeah. And just said, this is, this isn't worth it. Yeah, it's a good question. I don't know. I don't know if I'm conscious enough of it. I think we're probably not very good at doing that. I think that one of the advantages we have had in the past when we've had a bigger mob, and we've for various reasons in the in the business at the moment, there's quite a lot of people that sort of pulled off doing other things, which has meant we were a bit threadbare some of the time when you were there. Um, but I think that when you've got a a decent sized mob of sort of four or five people mm-hmm. who are really engaged in in what's going on, I think they're all there's you can always trust really that there's going to be one or two people who've got that sense of like, hold on a minute. This is not giving us the benefit anymore of, I mean, you were good at asking the question. I like the question that you asked of what does this buy you? And sort of, um, someone will have that sense of, I'm not sure this is worth it anymore. I think we may be overdoing this. Um, or, or how about we stop this and try that other way that we discussed 20 minutes ago because it looks like this isn't working out as easy as we thought it might or, or whatever. I think it's, it's it's easier to do that when you have a broader group. And it's one of the advantages of mobbing really is that you you get called on that um, more quickly than you than you might. Well, yeah, because it's, it, I mean, a solo is obviously the worst, isn't it? But even a pair can get into groupthink and just kind of run off down down one rabbit hole with, without um, taking a step back and, and just thinking about, are we, is, is this still the, the, the yak we came here to shave today? Mm-hmm. We did talk about yaks yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Um, so another thing that was uh, talking about heuristics in in you know in real life as opposed to things that people might tell you but you don't observe is like I uh, had a conversation mm-hmm. with Matthias Veras. You know he's in the domain driven design community, and he was telling me all these rules. You know that that he has when he teaches classes about events and projections and the design of APIs. And he's like, oh, you never need to define, you should never define something for a specific uh, downstream user of, of that event. Uh, you should, you know, if that, you know, is the case then, but I also observed and, and you know, when you don't have multiple clients, but you're using this event uh, store projection kind of architecture in, in your product. It's like there's always this tension between what's the right information and at what level to uh, to to you know communicate. And you know you're making these sort of I will say micro decisions up front about what is sufficient, and then you're sort of jiggling it around a little bit when you say, well, that's not really the right API and that's actually that's yeah. actually really a I, hard problem I wish people, uh, yeah. you know it's like oh should I pass this along or should I do this or and and it's it would be nice if there was this like clear line and I felt as a designer <clears throat> and I and I I felt this I, I'd be nice if I felt like oh I got it I know but this sort of there's this, we hold this, you know, goal that the domain is clear and we know this, but 
this, I won't say it's an illusion, but it's, uh, it's always harder in when you're right with it than just stating these principles. So you have to kind of wrestle with these issues. Yeah. And I guess, like you said earlier, they conflict or, or they trade off against each other, don't they? So in some contexts, one rule makes sense and then they reach, you reach a tipping point somewhere in the problem where actually that isn't the right, that, you know, another, another heuristic takes over instead. Um, and, and, and if you're able to make that adjustment, that's the right thing to do. But sometimes, um, which is, I, I, I don't know how to solve this problem, but sometimes in larger teams, when you're, when you're doing this, you know, well, we agreed on the API, you know, and we agreed on this projection, you know, just deal with it. And, uh, there becomes a rigidity, um, in, well, you know, and, and you do have to agree upon, uh, things, but you need to renegotiate them too. So that actually, that's something I value as, as a designer on, on larger teams. But uh, people would like to believe that they, they get things right and then it's good. But I think that's, mm. you know, real world needs to have these adjustments going on. Uh, it's quite a luxury, actually. Now you've come to mention it, that in, a, in the relatively small team um, that we are on the mob, that we're able to make those adjustments as we go along and not have to have them defined up front so we have got a lot of flexibility which in in some cases might mean that we do we do take time you know exploring those boundaries and 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 making decisions but it it's definitely true and helpful that we don't have this like this is it this is where the boundary lays and this is how we're going to do it that's that's kind of non-negotiable so that's that's really nice well, so I've, you know, this is in, in other mobs, they do the same way. They're, they're the same way too. If they, they get to be really effective, it's like we're making micro decisions to, you know, and, and they kind of get to do that if they're in the, but when you yeah. get to the boundaries outside of what you're doing and you're delivering to someone else, then it becomes a little, little harder to have, have that kind of freedom. That's why I like working on small teams. <laughs> <laughs> so, have you seen patterns across the different mobs that you've that, that you've been with? Then, have you seen sort of consistent things that that good mobs do well? And well, I don't know if you've seen any dysfunctional mobs. Well, so it was interesting. I uh, haven't spent time with them. Um, a- actually, I've spent a lot of time talking to the hunter people and helped them with experience reports uh, as a shepherd. Um, but I recently, uh, Woody Zoll uh, uh, introduced me to three uh, undergraduate students who wrote their bachelor's thesis uh, on their mobbing experience. And they were a mob of three. And I said, really? Can you have a mob of three? And actually, there's some, some interesting uh, material in there. And I'm still you know, talking with those folks and seeing what what they might do with what they're doing, what they did. But one of the things that was interesting from their perspective was there were times they found where mobbing didn't add that extra Mm. benefit, that they could do solo work or pairing 
And that was just fine. There were some, I don't want to say tedious tasks on this programming project that yeah. they were working on. Um, and so I guess being dysfunctional is being dogmatic. You know, well, we're all, we're all doing this all together. Yeah. Yeah. So you studied pairing, didn't you? Did you did you ever get into that thing of identifying like types of tasks that were better for smaller groups or solos versus? No, that wasn't really something that I looked at. I was more looking at the way that pairs, when they work mm. together, the way that they work through different types, different layers of abstraction. So, mm. you know, do the driver and navigator work at different layers? levels of abstraction what do the changes in abstraction look like and then some distributed cognition stuff around how the code tools artifacts or even things they had on their desk became part of their thinking process their kind of collaborative thinking process which is interesting in itself because obviously remote is very different in terms of what we pull into ours so we do pull in things like having a mind map and, and in a way, that's kind of part of our distributed cognition, right? That's part of the mob mind, just mm. as much as a person is. So it's more along those lines than about whether particularly a particular type of task is better for, for you know, more appropriate for mobbing or, or pairing or, or whatever. Um, mm. the, only, the only piece of research that I think somebody either did or was thinking of doing and, and then I'm afraid I kind of lost touch with what they were up to was about whether working in pairs and mobs exclusively eventually kind of eroded your confidence to do things on your own a little bit that's interesting well so um I uh shepherded Aaron Griffin's report on uh, you mm. know being an introvert in the mob and uh, which was which was fascinating, um, but one of the things that he shared is that at Hunter, uh, you know, yeah, they they were very strong. He was there in the early days of, of them mobbing, and then he would do some tasks later on that he could do solo. But even as an introvert, he felt a little alone doing those. <laughs> so yeah, that that doesn't that doesn't say he's inefficient at doing that or confidence, but he just felt a little lonely working on a task alone with some video stuff that he worked on. And that was that was kind of interesting to me because even even us introverts, you know, for we like to collaborate, right? And so once you get into that rhythm. I'm not sure it has to do with confidence, but it's just like, yeah, we people like in general, we like other people. And and so feeling so working alone um, on something, but being close to the mob is something that he would do. So so he'd hang with his people. Yeah. 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 So that's a real puzzle that we have actually, is that sometimes when we're mobbing, somebody will go off and do a bit of investigation or something, and they kind of still want to have a presence on the mob. Like if you were all in the room together, they'd be in the room, so they'd overhear stuff, you'd have all the peripheral awareness going on, but actually they're doing their own thing. Or they might even do their own thing in a pair. And it's very difficult to, uh, to, to find a way to do that remotely, right? So we use Zoom as our tool at the moment, you could separate out into a separate Zoom room, but then you've got no kind of residual presence in the, in the no, mob. So you've got no gone. kind of peripheral awareness of what's going on because you've left, essentially. Yeah. 
they may as well have gone home. So they're not they're not really there, even though you kind of fake them being there. Or they're, they're, do you, do you, you have a presence for them there? Or no, like they've yeah. gone. If you go into a breakout room in Zoom, you're gone. Right, you can't hear each other. Oh, you're There's gone. no way to just go, hey, Roman. What do you think about that thing? So, sounds like a, a design feature for Zoom. Yeah, hopefully if they're listening, if the powers of Zoom are listening, yeah, fix it, fix it for us. I have a, a different kind of question, just to take us off on a slightly different tack. There must be, well, I hope plenty of people listening who are on Teams who think, oh man, those cucumber people are so lucky. They've just got a lovely Rebecca to come and mob with them, to, to sniff out some heuristics. What kind of tips could you give to a team like that if they were interested in their own, in their own kind of uh, heuristics in terms of their design and their ways of working and all that kind of stuff? What kind of tips could you give them to start identifying those themselves a little bit? Well, um, I think that teams need to reflect on their values. You know, one of the things that <clears throat> is interesting is, is when you have tensions within a team, like the way we work uh, isn't, I, I prefer this or that. That's, that's an opportunity right there for having a discussion about the, th you know, the things you value and why. Um, if you're doing agile development, retrospectives are usually, well, here's one thing we could do better, but I also think it's interesting to re retrospect about, at least at the start, about what we, what we work on and what we feel about our design. You say feeling, but then you can get into, you know, having discussions about um, our designs. So I think you kind of kind of work into it. Um, it's not like you necessarily want to write your values down, but I actually think it's kind of interesting to do that. I mean, if you think about the Agile Manifesto, it's like, well, what do we value? Um, now, individually, I may have different values than my team members, and I may have different uh, design approaches that I know about. And, and if there's an opportunity to explore alternatives, that's a good way to capture what the heuristics that you're, you know, that are hitting your hot buttons at the moment you know, when you're having those kind of discussions. Yeah, that's a great idea. I haven't seen teams do that so much. So I've heard them talk about their, their, their team values in terms of like, how are we going to work together as a group, um, you know, uh, to, to, to make sure that we're accommodating everybody, to make sure that we're working together kindly, to make sure that we're not going to, you know, that, that we've got some, that we can create a team charter from that perspective. But I don't think I've ever seen a team say, well, actually... What are our values? What are our design values? I think that's really interesting. Well, I, I remembered uh, writing a bunch of adjectives on a post-it notes for a, for like our team probably three years ago. You know, words like simplicity, quite quite a high level, I guess. Um, and I think that Steve and I have coded together so much over the years. We have and and kind of experience things like we both spent the three four days with Sandy Metz when she came to London, and um, we've both come through the Ruby community. And so I think we've we've both ended up with very very similar design heuristics that we just kind of know, like, and we know each other's. We probably know no ways to press each other's buttons, I guess, as well. Maybe um, as, as 
as all good mates do. But um, <laughs> no, I think, I mean, what, what, what I was thinking about is that I, if I've got teams where I can see that that's an issue, because, you know, you sometimes get that thing like when t- where teams don't mob, which obviously most teams don't, um, and you get that like there's two characters who are trying to kind of like tussle the code base in different directions and, you know, one of them stays in until late at night refactoring the other one's code and then the other one gets it in the morning and unfactors it the other way and, and, and you get those kind of poisonous things going on. And often actually getting them out of their own code base and getting them to play with toy problems in sort of coding catters which you you tend to do in a in a mobbing style, right? You tend you know, those coding dojos. You tend to work in a mobbing style. Um, they can be really useful ways to get the design discussions out on the table because you can say, well, you know, there's twenty different ways of implementing um, this, you know, this this problem, whatever it is. Um, what? How? Why do we like this one? Why do we like this one? What's better about this one in this context? What about what's better about this one in this context? Because the problem's small enough, it gives you the opportunity to talk about it. That could be a really fun thing to do. I think, um, just you know, gra- grab some sandwiches for lunch and and find a room with a TV in it and 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 find one of the problems. And you could use a t- tool like Cyber Dojo, which we love, um, for doing that kind of thing. Yeah, I think that can be really good. So, um, Matt, it sounds like you've had a colleague in the past. Um, I have who would go and refactor your code at night and come back and change it. No, I was that guy. Oh, I was you that were guy. that guy. <laughs> yeah. So I'm thinking of this, and actually, this is a value that I have as a designer. Is um, I tend to have ideas, and you know, the 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 people who do that kind of work, that sort of refactoring overnight, it's because something bothered them about what I did, and. Um, they are usually OCD about it. I'm, I'm quite serious about it, and they don't want to work with me on it. They just want to get it done. Um, so I've, I've had, I'm, I'm channeling two people that I worked with. And, and so in some sense, as a designer, I had to let go of that this, that this uh, really, mat- that the way my code was, maybe a little bit scruffy, really mattered to me. I mean, the design was there. It's just they had these little things that they had to get right. Um, they weren't massively refactoring, but they were they were tweaking things uh, along yeah. the lines of using the best version, the latest way to do things in Java. You know, okay, fine. Let Let's be clear though; it's passive aggressive behavior. It's it is passive aggressive behavior, it I, and I I hold my hand up. I, you know, I did it back in the days when I had a I was lead developer of a team, and I had one person who I didn't think his code was up to snuff, and I just used to sit around in the evenings making it better. And I remember reading uh, Martin Fowler's book around that time, and and there's something in the refactoring book where he talks about um, just like I I like to let the team choose their style of this thing. I can't remember which particular thing he was talking about because the, the refactoring book's full of trade offs, like. In this mm-hmm. context, you want this pattern. In this context, you want this other pattern. Here's how to move between them, and um, so it's all about the, the trade-offs. And and he he was very much saying like I I prefer to just let the go go with what the teams um, the team style is on this one. And I think that's really mellowed me over the years. So I'll tend to not be doing that. But what I am t- I do tend to like to do is try and kind of bang the heads together. So if you can see two people who are doing that, it's really good to get them in the same space and working on the problem together. So we can try and kind of get those, what are those different 
perspectives that that you that that you're bringing to the to the thing is it something that that you've just never seen or some experience that you have that that this other person's not seen um try and get them to collaborate and and kind of because often you know you get you get a a third even better way don't you you do so i've i've seen um um at a i i won't name the company but i saw a manager do this when he had a, a a more junior engineer and a senior engineer that were just loggerheads butting and they wouldn't agree. Um, he basically said to each of them, you go work on, make that other, do a, do a prototype of, of their design idea and switch, you know, switched the two people around. You work on his and he'll work on yours. Um, oh, and, I love and, it. Like that thing of um, in debating when you have to take the other person's yeah, point of view. Yeah. And, and so yeah. it was interesting because um, at the end of that, and fortunately it worked out okay that they didn't just blow up and, you know, get angry about that, but they, but they did it is that the senior guy appreciated the other's point of view. Um, and, and, and he hadn't before. And, and so, I mean, you know, when you think about little things like that, um, that's, it's kind of, now I'm always on the lookout myself personally, this is another heuristic about that I have about approaching work. If someone has a better idea, I've learned to, to listen. You know, I, I used to defend my design. <laughs> I want to hear your ideas. Yeah. Yeah. It's like trusting, trusting that the best idea will out. And actually that's even something that you see in a sort of micro level um, in pairs, right? Because, and, and, and that was something that was in my research, like inexperienced pairs, if it's two relatively experienced pairs, they thrash all the time, right? So they kind mm. of, they kind of, they kind of, you know, one person gets to drive. So they're like, okay, we'll explore my way. And mm. then the other person will get to drive and they'll be like, oh, I'm going to delete that and show you what I would have done now. And it just thrashes <laughs> between the two because they haven't worked out how to have a conversation to agree about a way forward or to understand that there might be a different space that's neither way A or way B, but actually is a combination or some new idea or, or something else as well. Mm. <laughs> Goodness, I could talk about this stuff all day. <laughs> it's fascinating. Um, Rebecca, <laughs> with your heuristics project, is there any kind of like place on the internet where it lives? Are you writing about it yet? Are you blogging about it? Um, is there is there anywhere you'd like people to be sharing their heuristics? Is there a group where you hang out on, online? Well, so after this podcast, I'm having a discussion today with some of the DDD community about setting up a site um, and, and, and hopefully something comes of that. But um, I'm also been writing a couple of essays for the patterns, obscure patterns conference. Um, and, you know, hope to, to make this something that people are aware of. I think that as designers, um, we grow by learning from each other. So I, this is something that I do want to make more visible. If anybody wants to, to work with me and give me the pleasure of opportunity of like distilling their heuristics and understanding them, and I would give back to them, it would be a great opportunity. And what would be the best way for those people to get in? Uh, send me an email, um, Rebecca at worse-brock.com. Yeah. Fabulous. What an opportunity. Highly recommend it, listeners. Highly yeah. recommend it. Absolutely. It's been a privilege okay. having you this, Rebecca, and you're welcome back anytime.
So, so you need to uh, invite me back when you're working on something that's radically, that's a new idea, not the 48 day old, old, you know, to do list. <laughs> to do that we're clearing up. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Once we get through the 800 days of no, I know. Uh, technical yeah. debt that I... we have right now, I'll, I'll, we'll give you a call. No, no, no. <laughs> I guess it's that time to wrap up. Yeah. Um, I, I hugely grateful, Rebecca, both for the time that you've, you've spent with us at Cucumber, but also for for the I don't know hour or so on the on the pod. I think there's so much interesting stuff going on in this space. And if anybody out there is thinking that they'd like Rebecca to come and, and distill some heuristics for them, uh, you'd be crazy not to. <laughs> yeah, so, and uh, it's, a, it's a mutual benefit. I would enjoy it too. Yeah, I've had a, had a good time with you. Fantastic. Okay, well, thank you very much. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Rebecca. Until next time, listeners, um, that was the Cucumber Pod.